Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Boy... There is so much to catch up on that's been happening. Well, it's going on right now. I want to get into this topic of are we refighting the American Revolution? And really, it's the Civil War, too. In both cases, in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, on one side, there were people who believed in small-D democracy, the idea of what was referred to by the founders as a Republican government, small-R Republican. In other words, they believed in they believed that government was legitimate when it was placed there by the consent of the governed, a phrase from the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to get into that. Obviously, the Republicans are opposed to that. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. It's going to be just you and me. But Congressman Ro Khanna will be with us taking your calls. So just hang on because he'll be here. But I wanted to start out with my rant that I published this morning over at HartmanReport.com, which anybody could read anytime. It's free. There are no ads or anything. And... The headline is America now on the verge of refighting the American Revolution. Now, you know, headlines have to be short, so I really probably should have said refighting both the Civil War and the American Revolution. And the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, it's kind of a cute device to say that the the red hats we have today are like the red coats of the 1770s. But there actually are a lot of parallels. The Redcoats, the British loyalists and the British soldiers believed that democracy was not a system that worked. I mean, let's just be very, very clear about that. That's the most important point that you have to understand. This was about half of the people that we now call Americans, that were called colonists in the 1770s and the early 1780s. About half of America did not want to go to war with England or with Great Britain. They were loyal to the king. And the reason they didn't want to go to war, I mean, you know, obviously some of them didn't want to go to war because they had, you know, good cushy jobs that were subsidized by the British government. There's a lot of that going on. But the theoretical underpinning was democracy doesn't work. You know, these guys, the, you know, Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and, and uh, Thomas Paine, and these guys are, are calling for democracy. Democracy failed in Greece 3,000 years ago. The Greek experiment in democracy only lasted a couple hundred years. 
They're talking about a Republican form of government. You know, one of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson's favorite phrases. Well, it was a favorite phrase of all the founders all the way up, you know, north or south, slaveholding or not. They referred to what we have now as a small r, Republican form of government. That's why when Jefferson created the first, well, the second political party, the first was the Federalists that John Adams and and George Washington put together, and then Jefferson created the Democratic-Republican Party, which survives to this day. They dropped the word Republican in the 1820s. But they believed that a Republican form of government was possible, and, and the naysayers said, no, Rome, you know, was a republic. Greece was a democracy. The Greek democracy only lasted a couple hundred years. It failed. You know, they tried it in a couple of, a couple of islands even, and it failed. Sparta. And then you've got the Republican experiment of, you know, the Roman Republic, and that failed. That, you know, by the year 200, that was gone. So we've had 2,000 years of living with kings and kingdoms in Europe, and it has worked. It has guaranteed stability. Yes, we have occasional wars, but hey, it works. So let's not try this experiment in democracy. They were absolutely opposed to these core, these two principal core founding ideas that you find in the Declaration of Independence. Number one, that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, all people should have access to human rights. And number two, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Today's Republicans have a big problem with both, particularly that consent of the governed part, over 300 laws now to make it harder to offer your consent, in other words, to vote. And obviously, that whole part about human beings having inalienable rights, I mean, you know, they're obviously opposed to that. In the Revolutionary War, the people who believed in democracy were fighting a war against both a a, a physical and a psychological war, and kind of a spiritual war, you know, this is a belief system, against people who believed that kingdoms were necessary, that if you had a democracy, the people would simply vote everything to themselves, they'd drain the public purse, they'd ruin the country, average person doesn't know how to run a country, how can they vote for representation? You know, this was their argument. This, by the way, is still the Republican argument. It is an elitist, oligarchic, you know, we know better than you, let the billionaire class rule everything. So anyhow, during the Revolutionary War, it was, let's keep the king. During the Civil War, it was essentially the same thing, except in the South, instead of kings arising, what we had were oligarchs. Because of the invention of the cotton gin and and its widespread distribution in the 1820s, only to the biggest and wealthiest plantations, it was a very expensive contraption. Those giant plantations were able to undercut the price of cotton and wipe out the small competitors. So by the 1860s, this started in the 1820s, this took two and a half generations. By the 1860s, all the really high quality productive land in the South was owned by just a few thousand families. The Civil War was a Southern oligarchic police state. It was no longer a democracy versus the North, which was more or less still a functioning democracy. And the goal was to end democracy. That was the explicit goal of the people in the South and maintain slavery, which was you know, part of their ending democracy. So 
What I'm saying now is that when we see Mitt Romney getting booed, when we see Liz Cheney about to get kicked out of the GOP, what we are really seeing is that the Republican Party now represents one thing, oligarchy, rule by the rich. They are ignoring this whole idea of the consent of the governed. They want the suppression of dissent. They're passing laws against protesting. They're, dec- they're making it legal to kill protesters. They're replacing the ballot box with the police state. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And they have some friends. I'll be telling you about that. But that's what's going on right now. And we've got to push back. George in uh, Chicago, you had some thoughts you wanted to share? Yeah, Tom, thanks for taking my call. When you were explaining the course through history of the mindset that justified monarchy and oligarchy and slavery and by implication secession and what passes for Republican thought today, it occurred to me that, you know, if you go down those roads, you end up in very bad places. It's a dysfunctional Mm -hmm. way of looking at things. And it just occurred to me that in 1861, if President Lincoln and the northern states had said to the South, okay, you guys can go your own way, form your own country, we won't try to stop you, or if the South had won the Civil War, what would that have meant? You know, power abhors a vacuum and it loves to move right in. If one big strong country split in half and the South was on its own, How long before a resurgent Mexico that established its own independence in the late 1860s would have waited before making war on the South to reclaim the lands it lost in the humiliation of the Mexican War? The South wouldn't have been able to cope with Mexico by itself. Flip side is, just before our Civil War, Great Britain was forced to secede where you are now, the Oregon Territory, thus avoiding a war, and a weakened United States that had been split in half might have caused a certain certain administrations in Britain to think, well, maybe we could get this territory back. So, oh, the British, the French, or the Spanish were all looking at the North American continent and salivating for 100 years after the American Revolution. There was a widespread belief in Europe that the Civil War was going to end with the end of democracy and that America could be attacked, and that this was proof. I mean, at that point in time, there were only five countries. In 1861, there were only five countries in the world of any consequence that were operating as, any, as anything close to what we would today call democracies. It was this brand new exper- experiment. So, you know, with your thought experiment, continue, George, to, to your logical point, where you're, the point that you're making here. Well, it's simply that with you. If, if you don't make a strong, hard commitment to national unity and democratic principles. You're courting disaster. In terms of unity, it's the old story about the elderly gentleman who was in his last days, and he called his 10 sons together and told each one of them to bring a stick. And he said, hand me a stick, and he broke it easily. But then he said, bind the 10 sticks together and try to break them, and you can't. So That's called the fashion, by the way. (laughs) True. A bundle of sticks is called a fashion. analogy, but uh, I I mean, we, as Ben Franklin reminded us, either we hang together or we hang separately. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's why I want to bring up this topic. And you spoke to it very eloquently. George, thank you so much for the call. Tom in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, Tom, you can't equate democracy to the Greeks. 
Okay, you can equate it to the Athenians, but not the Spartans. The Spartans were a militaristic state run by two kings. They were a monarchy. So yeah, okay, you're right. The, you're right. I'm, I'm, and, yes, I mix them up. But the point, my point is that, that at that point in time, in the 1770s, there was a widespread belief among historians, and, and, and Hume was one of them. I mean, this is, you know, the, the British historians, including Hume in particular, that the end of the Greek experiment with democracy was proof that democracy was a failed experiment, regardless of which particular part of Greece it might have been happening on. Yeah, well, it, it may have continued, and it may have been successful, but the Spartans beat the Athenians. They were kind of jealous of right. the Athenians and beat the hell out of them. And then well, a lot of the resources. Well, I think they were fearful because the Spartans had beaten the Iranian winter Persian fleet, and then they started building walls around their city, and the Spartans didn't like that. So they pretty much came in and, and, and took over Athens, but eventually they were defeated, too, because they had this ideal of what an ideal Spartan was. And if you were born male and you didn't make that ideal as a kid, they threw you off the cliff. So they had a lowering population <laughs> Maybe. of males. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't build an army big enough. And eventually yeah. their I, you know, enemies Tom, had you're, you're, them. You've wandered into parts of Greek history where I can't. Confirm or deny it. it it's, you should, it, it, you it, should see a documentary called The Spartans by Bethany Hughes. She's mm-hmm. an English woman that did yeah. a whole documentary on the Spartans, and it's just amazing. It sounds fascinating. But the bottom line, my point is that in, in the 1770s, people were saying democracy was a failed experiment. Republicanism was a failed experiment. That would be the Romans. And in the 1860s, they were saying the same thing. It was just a different group of people saying it. Instead of being royal families, these were oligarchic families in the Deep South. But they were saying the same thing. Democracy doesn't work. You need to have us in charge. We need an oligarchy. And that, that's the point I'm trying to make. Nuance aside or, or detail aside. We'll continue the conversation after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I want to also just comment on this piece that Eric Bullard published, I guess it was a couple days ago, over at PressRun.media. He said the Washington Post owes Biden an apology. But it's not just the Washington Post. Remember two, three weeks ago, all the news was about, oh my God, there's a crisis on the southern border. Oh my God, there's 10,000 children. Oh my God, there's, and Joe Biden, he's responsible for this and he screwed this up, blah, blah, blah. Well, Biden expanded the courts. I mean, Trump had just gutted the whole system down on our southern border. And Biden put it back together again, the legal system, started processing people who had been waiting for years, refugees, started processing them. And I thought this was the most underreported story of the year. The Biden administration has executed agreements with the, sometimes they're referred to as the Northern Triangle countries, with Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, to help them out economically, locally, so that when their farmers get wiped out because of climate change and they end up in the big cities, that at least the country can offer them some basic social safety net services so they don't feel the need to come to the United States. And the Biden administration is working with Mexico to try to help make all this stuff better. And so the result of this, 
And I guarantee you, unless you were really paying attention, while you know, two, three weeks ago, all you heard all the time from every Republican and CNN and MSNBC and, of course, Fox, all you heard was, oh, my God, look at all these refugees and these immigrants showing up at our southern border. Now, this is from Thursday. CNN published this, quote, the number of unaccompanied children held by U.S. Customs and Border Protection dropped nearly 84 percent in the span of a month underscoring the significant progress made by the administration after reaching record high custody figures. Now, where is that in the news stories? I mean, are we going into another one of these things like we saw during the the Clinton presidency and the Obama presidency, where the national news media basically you know, any kind of hysterical, oh my God, look at what's going on that the Republicans start squealing about. Oh, it's the southern border. It's falling apart. See, I told you, I told you that that floats to the top of the news. And then when a Democrat, whether it was Clinton or Obama, or in this case, Joe Biden, then when a Democrat comes in and says, okay, I'm going to actually do something about this and do it and succeed in a month, well, two months. And the press puts it on page 17 in paragraph six with a headline in 16 point type. Little. Anyhow, I just, I I thought that was, you know, worthy of mention. I'll, I'll continue with my rant about, you know, what's going on in the United States and are we fighting these wars again in just a moment, stick around. So I guess my question for this issue and this topic is how do we most effectively promote democracy, the idea of democracy, I'm talking about small d democracy, this core idea that the people should be able to govern themselves, that you want as many people to vote as possible, that you want to have as much of the electorate engaged as possible, that you want citizen politicians, you want people involved in the political process, how, which all are things that are anathema to the Republican Party right now. How can we promote that in the face of this push by hard right-wingers from the militia groups to the right-wing hate radio to the Australian oligarchs who own Fox News to the giant billionaire right-wing network, the what used to be called the Coke network, it's now much larger than that, that now has more employees, more offices, and a bigger budget than the entire Republican Party and runs as essentially a shadow political party. In the face of all that, how do we advocate for democracy? How do we work for democracy? I mean, Joe Biden talked about this in his speech last week. He said, you know, I know President, or maybe it was the week before last, he said, I know President Xi. I've traveled, you know, with him thousands of miles. He kind of rambled on, in fact, about that for a little bit, as Joe is wont to do. I thought it was charming. It, it actually gave credibility to what he was saying that he really knows this guy. I mean, they, they have sat together on airplanes for hours. They've had meals together. They've been all, you know, all around the block a couple of times. And he said, President Xi just said right out, right out loud to me that their form of essentially communist capitalism is superior to our form of democratic capitalism because we're too slow to move. We can't deal with crises. 
And the example, you know, was, hey, China got the coronavirus under control in two months. And they're back to normal. Their GDP grew 8% last year. The United States, no, not so much, because we had, you know, a boy king idiot, I guess, in the White House. But how do we push back against this giant political network and these oligarchs and these voices openly denigrating democracy and promoting hate and intolerance? And by the way, promoting hate and intolerance are the hallmarks of oligarchy. Oligarchs ruled by the rich only works when the rich can cause everybody else below them to be fighting with each other. When Louise and I lived in Germany, we lived in a little town called Stadtsteinach. There was a, a, a castle that, that fell into ruins in, as I recall, the year 912. It might have been 947, but it was in the 900s. Um, it was called Nordak. It was a wa- just a short walk from our house. We used to walk over there uh, you know, a couple times a week because it was just a nice, nice walk, nice exercise. It's through the woods. It overlooked a little tiny river. In the next big town over, which was Kulmbach, there was this giant castle called the Plassenberg. We used to go there. They had a nice cafe, and we'd go there and have Moonkuchen, this cake made with poppy seeds, and a good glass of Riesling. And what we learned was that the people who owned the castles in these towns that were next door to each other, I mean, these two towns were separated by about, I don't know, five miles, ten miles at the most of farmland, that the people who owned these castles had a deal with each other. That they would, have, they would be in a constant state of low-grade warfare against each other, throwing their own poor people, their serfs, into, you know, into military service so that the poor people, the serfs, the working, the working people, would constantly be doing everything they could to make the castles bigger and stronger so that when the other the, the bad guy from the other castle invaded, when he got his serfs to invade, there was a big castle to run into. Right? This, this is an old game from Europe. And it's what the Republican Party is trying to play on us right now. You guys need to fight with each other. You need to hate each other. You need to be afraid of each other. This is the sales pitch of the Republican Party. And I know, you know, we, there's this old phrase, love conquers all, and, you know, love conquers hate, love conquers fear, but uh, how do you do that? I mean, some of these hard-right groups have openly declared, the Boogaloo Boys, for example, explicitly has said that their goal is to start a second American Civil War based on race. These are white supremacists. They declare their loyalty to a white supremacist real estate oligarch from New York. They get their news from Australian and Ukrainian oligarchs. They've embraced an ideology that was championed by the Germans in the 1930s. They even wear funny red hats like the British did back in the day. I mean, this, so we have the, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War were both fought by people who believe in democracy who won against people who don't believe in democracy. And that's what's happening now again. How do we prevail without violence? How do we prevail by promoting the idea of democracy? How can we win those hearts and minds? Is it just going to be Biden having success?
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, just a couple things here quickly before I, before I pick up your phone calls. Louise actually came up with the idea for my rant today on Saturday. We were talking about this and she said, you know, it's like we're fighting the American Revolution all over again. And I said, no, I think it's the Civil War because it's like oligarchs, you know, rich people in the South basically controlled the South. They ended democracy in the South and then they declared war on democracy in the North. And she was like, yeah, but the monarchists were also the rich people in Great Britain and they didn't believe in democracy. They wanted a kingdom. In both cases, you had people, you know, whether it was Abraham Lincoln in 1860 or George Washington in 1780, who were fighting on behalf of this idea of democracy. And they were fighting against people who did not believe in democracy. In the case of the Revolutionary War, it was the royalists. And in the case of the Civil War, it was the Southern oligarchs. But in both cases, they didn't believe in democracy. And I was like, hey, you're right. And so, you know, I wrote this thing, you know, mostly yesterday afternoon and last evening. And then, uh, you know, Louise and I get up at five in the morning and we go through and, you know, tweak them. And, and in that, I mentioned the fact that Mitt Romney, I mean, it was kind of a news hook. Mitt Romney over the weekend got booed in Salt Lake City. And the Republicans are talking about throwing out Liz Cheney. She's number three in the Republican leadership. And they're saying, let's get rid of her. She already has a primary challenger for 2022, although, you know, that's kind of sketchy. So maybe an hour after I published this piece in which I mentioned Liz Cheney, she tweets out this. The 2020 presidential election was not stolen. Anyone who claims it was is spreading the big lie and the big liar in all caps in her tweet, turning their back on the rule of law and poisoning our democratic system. Small d. I mean, there is almost nothing I agree with Liz Cheney about. From coal policy, you know, Wyoming is the leading producer of coal in the United States. That They're actually trying to now subsidize their coal industry. From global warming stuff to economics to foreign policy, you know, there's nothing I agree with Liz Cheney about. But when she says they are poisoning our democratic system, when a Republican will even use that word, small d, as in like, this is how the founders thought. I just had to retweet. I said, I never thought I'd be retweeting Liz Cheney, but here we are. As I note in my red coat rant today at HartmanReport.com, this is a battle between those who believe in democracy and those who don't, regardless of our other opinions on economics, foreign policy, etc. So anyway, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Jerry at San Francisco. Hey, Jerry, some thoughts? 
Yeah, Tom. Um, I think that for most of our experiences living in this country that we don't experience democracy. I can remember my father, you know, when I was a little kid wanting to change something about what we were doing, and he'd say, hey, as long as you're under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. And then you go to school and you have your history teacher tell you, hey, you can't fight City Hall. You just got to adapt to it, you know. And even our pop culture has, we have like this superhero that comes in and saves our day. Very few problems are solved through committee or through a group of people working together to Actually, a lot of problems are solved that way, Jerry. It's just, as you point out, they're not the ones that are so visible. They're not the ones that are trumpeted. They're not the ones that are advertised. And this salvationistic thinking, which is also at the core of Christianity and and some other, you know, both political and religious systems that, you know, someone will save us if only we do the right thing. If we only, you know, if only we pray to the right gods or make the right sacrifice or... Right. And not only do they save us, but very seldom do we have a complete solution to our problem. You know, we have partial solutions that people work on. So you have this expectation. So do you have a solution here, Jerry? Well, I guess we could start with looking at ourselves and in our homes and how we raise our kids and how we educate our, our young and so forth. I think that there's lots of work to be done on a personal level. I just participated in a May Day march on Saturday, and it was lots and lots of positive things going on there and people working on the problem and so forth. But you almost have mm-hmm. to be there to, to really feel that. You, you can't like just read it if you're not politically active and so forth. And so when you have people telling you that government is not the solution, it's the problem like Reagan and, and following that through all the way, or you can't fight City Hall or those kinds of cliches, you, you begin to believe it, especially if you feel like, yeah. man, I, I can't keep a job. I, my kids hate me, and I, you know. I think I think we need to be pushing back right. on it, though. I get yeah. what you're saying, Jerry, and I need to move along to another caller here. Our lines are just slammed, but, you know, I get sure. what you're saying, and I think that we really, really need to be pushing back on this. Thank you very much. Fred in Deering, New Hampshire. Hey, Fred, your thoughts? Yes. Uh, after a generation of people being taught to the test, which I left behind, at the expense of uh, critical thinking or civics, uh, decline of unbiased news and the ascension of Fox and hate radio and websites are all familiar with this. There's a great need for education of the public. That's my solution. I think in the same way the Democrats discovered and need to educate themselves, the leadership does, and the electorate as to the, what the Democratic Party stood for and should stand for then, you know, that needs to happen. Also, bigger point, and I'll get to it, is educating the public on the basis, nuts and bolts of democracy. It's an imperfect system. It's got some major flaws, the Electoral College, the Supreme Court come to mind. But uh, I don't think people are aware that January 6th was treason and not some patriotism, unquote. You know, that needs to be more likely to be racist. Yeah, or the January 6th was just a riot. I mean, it, it just makes me crazy every time it's portrayed as a riot or as a protest, or these people are called protesters. That was treason. That was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States, a naked attempt to do that. that I, I, there is no other word for it other than treason. 
and you know we constantly are, are glossing over it. But I completely agree with you, Fred, and I think your point is brilliant. I think that, yes, we need education again. Reagan gutted civics education in the United States and began the process of gutting our public schools that Betsy DeVos tried to finish up on. Dave, in Federal Washington, your thoughts on this, Dave? Yeah, hey, Tom. I essentially agree with you, but I think as far as Trump or the Republican Party wanting a monarchy or even in comparison to the Confederate South, I think it... This new conservatism is more American conservatism is more akin to a budding fascist movement, and you're absolutely right. It can't. Well, that's what the South was. No, that's what the South was. I mean, you had a couple thousand families who controlled the economy of the South. They also controlled the politics of the South. That was Mussolini's idea. So we just didn't. We just never called it fascism. We should. We should. You know, the Confederacy was a fascist movement. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah, but the thing is, even in the South, there was some debate over whether or not to be a union because, all right, there were some people in the Confederacy that were afraid of, like, um, Texas being uh, um, not really an equal. You know, they were afraid of runaway slaves getting weapons in Texas and wreaking revenge. In a a fascist movement, there are no concerns like that because everything's controlled by a merger of corporate and state. And you know this. I I got it. You know, I think you're right, Dave. I do. I really think that what we're looking at is a fascist movement. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Can we save democracy? Congressman Ro Khanna is here with us. He represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep Row. That's in R-O, Rep Row Khanna is his Twitter handle. And Congressman Khanna, you know, an awful lot has happened. A lot under the bridge, as they say, politically, since the last time we spoke. You know, Joe Biden's speech, a number of proposals, wackadoodle stuff coming out of the GOP. I'm wondering what's at the top of your mind, of your list, and the things that you would like our audience to be focusing on as we move into this new era here. Well, Tom, I uh, loved your column about how Biden had a transformative speech, really a defense of government is necessary in people's lives to help facilitate their freedoms and opportunities and a rejection of Reaganism and also a very eloquent column about all of the ways that race has been embedded in our history and whether that has been in our immigration policy, whether it has been in denying people the right to vote, whether it has been in denying justice in the criminal justice system, and you're, you go in through all of it. So to say that we are somehow oblivious to race as the Republican response to just is factually inaccurate, there's a real opportunity. I mean, I, this is the first time in my lifetime that you've had a president really defend the role of government as essential to a good society. So I'm excited when Congress gets back in session to getting to work on the infrastructure plan and the family relief plan. Next week? I mean, we've got committee hearings and things going on right now, but the formal voting starts not next week. It starts the week after, but we have a lot of committee hearings and working on infrastructure, working on what the progressive priorities should be. You know, the president gave a very aspirational speech. Now we don't want it to be diluted in the formal legislation. Let's pass what he's proposing. We have the majorities. 
the policies he's proposing are deeply popular. We need to pass them. Great. Thank you. So, pick up phone calls? That sounds great. Okay, let's do this. And just, you know, for anybody who might just be tuning in, Congressman Khanna, Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Representative from the 17th District of California, will be with us taking your calls. And Kino in Lakeland, Florida. Kino, our ex-Republican, you are on the line with Congressman Khanna. I am now a member of the Green Party after 50 years of the Republican Party, and I have a special favor to ask of Congressman Khanna. The female Asian elephants in America want to have babies, but the breeding program has been stopped because all the males are too closely related, and the Endangered Species Act prohibits either new bull elephants or semen from bull elephants to be brought in, so the endangered species are going to die out here in America if we don't bring in some bull elephants from India. So, Congressman, can you help bring some bull elephants to America to breed the females so we can start having some more Asian elephant babies in America? Well, it's the first time hearing about that issue. I'm happy to look into it. I mean, obviously, India has been on my mind this week, and we're doing everything we can, given the awful humanitarian crisis with COVID, just to get oxygen there, uh, to get PPE there, to make sure that we could get our vaccines licensed there. And, Tom, let me just bring this issue up because it's so important. Pfizer and Moderna are refusing to sell vaccines to not just India, but 100 countries around the world. This is going to come for a vote May 5th. We need a TRIPS waiver, which doesn't mean that we're asking pharmaceutical companies to give these vaccines away for free. What we're saying is they should be forced to license them, to, to be paid for them, and they should not be allowed to hoard them and deny every other country the ability to manufacture. So that's the crisis currently in India that we're working on. But I hear you about the elephants. If you write to my office, I'm happy to look into it and see what we can do. What's TRIPS that we need to have waived? So TRIPS, Tom, this is, I think, is one of the key moral issues of, of our time. Right now, there are about 100 countries that do not have the ability to use the vaccine formula for Pfizer or Moderna to make their own vaccines. So Pfizer and Moderna are basically choosing which contract manufacturers to allow. And Pfizer got this technology, the mRNA technology, from a Turkish couple who invented it. That couple, through BioNTech, basically said, okay, we're going to be the exclusive suppliers to Germany and Turkey, and they partnered with someone to supply China, and Pfizer got exclusive jurisdiction over the rest of the world. And Pfizer has been selective in only operating with a few select contract manufacturers, and they've gotten requests from manufacturers around the world, and they're simply refusing to give them the vaccine formula to be able to manufacture it. This is why we have had a dismal rate of getting people in other parts of the world vaccinated. What TRIPS would do is it would say that you have, you're required as a compulsory matter to license your IP in this medical case to any contract manufacturer, any company that wants it, any country that wants it. They're required to pay you a fair rate for it. And we did this before President Bush with drugs regarding AIDS. President Biden needs to support that waiver of IP, and it's going to come to a head in about a week. A dear friend of mine, Alan Ratner, who knows Bush and is a great Democrat, used to say, you know, the one good thing George Bush did is he saved millions of lives in Africa. Is that how he did it, by pushing through essentially this waiver on this TRIPS waiver? I'm still not sure what the acronym stands for, but is that how Bush accomplished that? That was one of the things. And then he also gave direct aid of five 
billion or so and set up a fund and had U.S. assistance. But the waiver was a huge part of it. And, you know, there are two common misconceptions. One is, well, are we just asking Pfizer and Moderna to give it away? No, you're not. You get compensated based on the license. But what Pfizer and Moderna want to do cynically is to maintain a monopoly on it so that they get to determine the distribution, so that they get to determine the vaccine, the boosters. And most importantly, they don't want a generic alternative coming. That would be understandable if they had anywhere near the manufacturing capacity to vaccinate the world, but they don't. And so what you have is this really cruel situation where they're refusing to sell. They're refusing to sell the formula. And you've got countries like India stuck simply with AstraZeneca, which is not an mRNA technology. It can't be scaled as fast. It is not sufficient to be able to vaccinate their population. And there are a hundred other countries in this situation. South Africa, India, many emerging countries have asked the WTO to waive the IP requirement and require licensing. Intellectual uh, so property. The administration, you know, the intellectual property. So far, President Biden has refused to do so, even though he explicitly promised. Andy Barkin tweeted this out. He has a video where he asks candidate Biden, will you promise to waive this? Will you make sure that everyone has access to the vaccine? And President Biden said absolutely, emphatically, yes. And the only reason we wouldn't waive this is pure pharma greed. It would be that Pfizer and Moderna won a monopoly on this. And they Moderna got the IP from NIH, so they got it from taxpayers. Pfizer got a $2 billion guarantee from us, U.S. taxpayers, and they got the technology from a Turkish couple. So it is just yeah. inexcusable. I get it. I totally get it. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Khanna, vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 17th District of California in the U.S. House. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Kana. Drop him a tweet and say hi. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And uh, let's see here. Fred in Yorkville, California, you're listening on KZYX. Hey, Fred, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Good morning, gentlemen. I have a few ideas about gun control that I'd kind of like to throw out there and see if any of them stick. And since we have Congressman Connor with us, this is the perfect time. Go for it. Okay. Yes, Fred. I believe in the Second Amendment. We should be able to have guns, but we need some serious restrictions. And here's legislation I'd like to see. You want to have a gun? You go to the DMV, you take a test, you prove that you know something about basic gun safety, and you can tell the difference between a deer and a German shepherd, then you get a license. And then you commit a crime with that gun, you go away for a long time, and you have that license taken away. Automatic military assault weapons with high-capacity magazines, absolutely not. Nobody but soldiers should have those weapons. So you have a buyback with a deadline. It, we will buy back these weapons from you until the deadline. If you get caught with them after that, it's not going to go well for you. So we have to pass some serious gun laws and enforce them. What do you think about that? Could we get something like that through the Congress? Well, I think it's common sense. I mean, what you're saying is that you should have a safety test before using a gun. They're just like a license to use a, an automobile and a gun is far more dangerous and that there should be some liability if you misuse that and if you abuse it. That seems to be common sense. It does not infringe on your right to own a gun, just like requiring a license for an automobile doesn't infringe on your right to travel. You know, the question is, can we have the political will to have these kind of ideas implemented? Susan in Beaverton, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thank you, Rep. Kana, for all you do. I know you're on the Agriculture Committee with Cory Booker. In fact, I think you are. And I'm wondering what you're going to do about animal agriculture and factory farm, which is one of the biggest things that contribute to climate change. In fact, I'm not sure we can solve it without dealing with that. So I'm just wondering um, what your plans are. And then I know talking about these things will drive the Republicans crazy. So what are we going to do about that? Susan, thank you. Cory Booker and I have a bill exactly on this, on CAFOs, the large concentrated farms that have extraordinary runoff that are huge pollutants into the environment, which mistreat the animals. And what we have said is that we need to have a moratorium on building new ones, and we need to have the liability and not on the family farmer, but on the on these large conglomerate farms, which are owned by people outside the community. So take a look at the Farm Reform Act, and we're going to try to push it. It's called the Farm Reform Act? Yes, it's, that Cory Booker Great. and I introduced last Congress, and we'll introduce it again this Congress. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line with us, taking your calls. Calvin, in uh, Dighton, Kansas. Am, am I saying that right, Calvin? You sure are, Tom. You are on My the My question air. is, give me one gun control law that is actually going to curb the violence. Chicago is an example. Guys from Illinois can just jump over to Indiana. Well, no, they can't. The state law in Indiana is you must 
be a resident in order to purchase. That means they're buying the gun illegally if they're going over it there. Is abs- it is absolutely not enforced. Congressman, your response. Well, let me give you two very common sense examples. Let's say you know someone who has a gun and they're threatening to do harm to themselves or to a family member or to the community. But right now, you can't do anything about that. Shouldn't you at least be allowed to go to court and have a judge temporarily take that gun away from a person who may be ready to do harm to themselves or a family member? And then you could say, well, they could get a gun anyway. Usually they won't. There'll be a cooling off period. The second thing is having a background check in a waiting period before someone goes to a gun. Studies have shown that that would actually reduce violence because a lot of times people will rush to buy a gun if they've had a dispute, they've had an argument, they've had a dispute with their partner, and that leads to a devastating consequence. The studies have shown just having a waiting period will reduce the likelihood of violence. So there are there's actually been research on this. These things have been proven to work. And it's just a lack of political will in getting them done. One of the people at our radio station in Chicago, WCPT, sent me this. This is from the local paper, the Denver Channel paper. The city of Chicago is suing an Indiana gun store it claims has sold more than 850 illegal firearms that have been recovered at crime scenes in Chicago. They're suing this store in Gary, Indiana. They say they have, quote, engaged in a pattern of illegal sales that has resulted in the flow of hundreds, if not thousands, of illegal firearms into the city of Chicago. So just for reference. Mick in Seattle. Mick, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Thank you, gentlemen, for your uh, activism and awareness of the issues. Congressman Rokana, this is in your own backyard. Uh, I was born and raised in California, grew up in the Silicon Valley, which was once the prune capital of the world. It comes as no surprise to me that off the coast of California recently, it was surveyed that a quarter of a million barrels of DDT are sitting in barrels that are, of course, corroded and exposing high levels of DDT to the surrounding marine life. Example, the sea lions. Can you tell me what you plan on doing about this? Well, thank you, Nick. I believe that we need to make sure that our EPA is regulating the DDT and working to remove it. And uh, we need to make sure that removal is taking place. So if you want to write more to my office about specifics, I'm happy to act on it. Otherwise, I'll continue to reach out to the EPA uh, on the issue. Now, this is a pretty new story, Congressman. There was a big article about it in Nature magazine just the day before yesterday that I can forward to you if you'd like. It's, it, that would be great. It's pretty That'd grim. Great. Yeah, this, is, this was a company back in the 60s and 70s that apparently dumped this stuff when it became uh, illegal, and some of it is the waste byproduct of manufacturing, and it's all out in the ocean. Steve in St. Genevieve, Missouri, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hey, Tom. Hey, Congressman. My question is, shouldn't the United States be helping Mexico when it comes to this vaccine? Because I have friends that live down there. Puerto Vallarta is where I like to go. And my Mexican friends down there are telling me that they don't even have their most vulnerable vaccinated fully yet. And they're saying that they're getting, I believe, the Chinese version of the vaccine and also the Russian vaccine, which are, I believe the Russian vaccine is less effective. I think we need uh, maybe Moderna and uh, Pfizer down there because let's face it, they're our neighbors and we do a lot of, you know, we do a lot of business with them, tourism wise as well. Thank you. You're absolutely right. I mean, so 
what we need to do, in, in my view, is to help them actually with the manufacturing and with the technical know-how uh, to allow them to develop the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to vaccinate their population instead of having to rely on the Russians or the Chinese. But instead, we're not even allowing them to buy these vaccines from us and to do their own manufacturing. And that's what we were talking about earlier, that at the very least, we need to require licensing of vaccine formula so they can manufacture the vaccines for themselves. This goes back to those TRIPS waivers. Exactly, Tom. Now, no, it's, yeah. it's an issue yeah. that really ought to be, it's May 5th is the decision, and I think it's one of the key moral issues of our time, and not enough people are talking about it. Gerald in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, I just wanted to make the comment that Fox News to me is oxymoronic. And uh, I was wondering, because I keep hearing monopolies with the pharmaceutical industry, why couldn't the antitrust laws, which I think are still in effect, be used to break them up if they don't start producing the vaccines and distributing them? Thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's a great question. Uh, and I don't know what the market share of Pfizer or Moderna is in terms of antitrust law. What I do know is that the intellectual property that they're is giving them basically a monopoly right. They basically have a monopoly over this vaccine. And what we're saying, that many of us have been advocating for the TRIPS waiver, is if they're going to have this intellectual property right, the very least they need to be doing is selling, licensing that technology, and that would help counter the extreme monopoly power they have. So I think having that intellectual property reform is what we need. David in Columbus, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Congressman, have the Republicans given up on uh, prosecuting Trump for sedition and uh, suborning perjury and intimidating federal witnesses and it's a whole list of crimes? And I don't think you should get away with this. David, I believe that the Justice Department is looking into all of this. I actually think President Biden has taken the exact right approach, which is that it's not a political issue. He didn't know anything about the Giuliani investigation. I'm sure he, neither he nor anyone at the White House is involved in the investigations against Trump. But he's letting the U.S. attorney's offices and the Justice Department take its course and conduct the investigations and hold any individual accountable, whether that's Trump or anyone who worked for him. Patrick in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, Representative. Hi, Tom. Uh, I'm just going to launch right into it. So we've all heard Tom quote poll numbers, and you've probably heard people complain about poll data, saying, "Why? who are they polling, or how do they get their numbers? Well, I think what you guys should do is use your primary election infrastructure to host an open bipartisan ballot referendum drive this year on Election Day in November, and you guys can have 10 issues, clear and direct, bipartisan, like Medicare for all, voting IDs, that would simple yes, no, unsure options to choose. And then you take whatever the top five are, bipartisan, put them on, you know, massive banners and, and use that, those results to push legislation next year. And if successful, you can repeat it every year. Patrick, I think it's a good idea to figure out ways of getting more direct citizen feedback on our issues and what we should do. Of course, we know a lot of these things are popular. We know Medicare for all polls off the charts. We know that most of President Biden's agenda of having child care, of having a free public college, of having increased funding on infrastructure pulled off the charts. 
So the obstacle seems to me not public opinion, but special interests and lobbyists that always manage to slow things down. And what we have to do is figure out how we get around that. Ryan, in Modesto, California, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, Congressman, I'm wondering if you have any insight on what the status is of before the People Act in the Senate. I'm really concerned that nothing will happen before next year's midterms. And I just think that even if it's a scaled back version that doesn't include all of the campaign finance reform in the For the People Act, if we can get something that includes just basic protections like early voting, automatic voter registration, nonpartisan gerrymandering, et cetera, just basic national protections for national elections should not be controversial. Ryan, I agree with you 110%. And it's a, a moral issue, but it's also a pragmatic issue. If they don't have voting rights legislation that protects people's right to vote, absentee that protects polling places, you're going to have a disaster in the midterms because the Republicans will break each of these states to disempower, disenfranchise black voters, Latino voters. And the deadline isn't 2022. The deadline is approaching by this summer because you need to give enough time for the courts to look at it and review it. And otherwise, you'd have some district court judge overturn it and the Supreme Court won't get to it until after the election. So Senator Schumer and Pelosi are aware of this. I believe they're going to have a narrower bill focused on what you are focused on and insist that not require a filibuster. And if they can't get it through, then really the filibuster is in question and Schumer has said as much. Charles in Miami, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. How you doing, Tom? And how you doing, Congressman Kana? I was listening to Fox News this morning. I don't know how I got there. But you had this sheriff, um, he's a freshman congressman from Texas, and they're promoting him as someone who wants to talk to Biden on police reform. But during his whole his whole rant, he was upset that he feels policemen are unappreciated and they're not getting the respect and Democrats are essentially, in, and when they call it radical left, I just think they're terminate. That's their racist term for black people and any person of color. So my question is this. He wants to not call it police reform, and he is saying it's criminal justice. And I guess I'm trying to say, are you guys progressive? Are you guys going to stand up for it? Because we voted, we waited in line, we voted, and we wanted results. And it's not a matter of Democrats and Republicans coming together at this point when actually they you know, invaded the Capitol and tried to overturn democracy. It's the point now, are you guys going to stand up for your voters? Your voters come first. And are you going to, you know, set the agenda and give us everything that you promised us? And as, as the progressives, are you guys willing to, you know, put a stop to whatever Joe Manchin is doing by also saying we'll block everything going to West Virginia and any legislation? And, you know, I'm depending on you, Congressman McConnell. We love what you do, and keep on fighting for us. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for your passion, and I agree with you completely that we have to deliver on police reform. We have to deliver, given the incidents almost every week that we're seeing in the news, given how much of an issue this is about racial justice, particularly when you talk to young people. I mean, this is a, a moral case. It is a, a issue about racial justice. And we've passed it in the House, the Police Justice Act, that says force needs to be a last resort like every other industrialized Western democracy, uh, that you can't have chokeholds, that you can't have no warrant knocking down of doors. These things are common sense, 
and we have to uh, prioritize getting it passed through the Senate and, again, be willing to do it without a filibuster. But, you know, I thought the president was overly decent with the sheriff, a freshman member of Congress, you know, monopolized two minutes of his time, and, and President Biden just stood there and patiently listened to him. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's really in any good faith. And if he has a good faith ideas, we're willing to listen. But what is he proposing to do on the abuse and police violence? John in San Francisco, got a quick one for Congressman Kana. Why have we not put together a 50 state plus protectorate program where we fight fires in the summer and manage forests in the winter? Yeah. John, I'm going to cut you off there. We only have 15 seconds left. Congressman? John, we need to. We need to do a better job with the prescribed burns. I do think the governor is more prepared this summer. There's been large allocation for having a fire response, emergency response team and better technology. But you're right. We need more prescribed burns and force management. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us today. I look forward to the next time you're on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Always learn from your listeners, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and back at you. Thank you so much. Congressman Ro Khanna, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov is the website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick White, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, and Jay LeBlanc. All the folks who help make this show work for you. And thank you for helping, you know, helping keep us going. Be good to yourself and those around you. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.